Saint Oscar Romero once said, there is no dichotomy between man and God's image. Whoever tortures a human being, whoever abuses a human being, whoever outrages a human being, abuses God's image. Welcome to the 78th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want us all to remember that we are all made in the image and likeness of God. And whatever hurts us, whatever plagues us, whatever causes us grief, God understands it, God feels it, and God wants to liberate us from it. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, as we've touched on at the local level in various episodes, a new national 988 suicide and mental health lifeline is coming to the United States, and I couldn't be more excited with the news. The Verge gives some background on the new number and the way it impacts local calls. In many places, you can call up a neighbor or local pizza parlor just by dialing seven numbers as long as you have the same area code, but that ability will soon be going away in order to make the National Suicide Prevention and Mental Health Crisis Lifeline easier to reach. The change is happening due to an FCC order from July 2020, which mandated that the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline should be reached at a three-digit number 988 to make it easier for people in a crisis to reach the hotline. After the decision was reached, the responsibility for actually getting the system working was passed to the North American Numbering Plan Administrator, which is now in charge of making sure that calls to 988 end up at the lifeline starting on July 16, 2022. The technical reason for why this change is required is reasonably simple. Some phone numbers start with 988, so if someone were to dial a number like 988-9999, the phone switch wouldn't know how to interpret it. Since there isn't a 988 area code, requiring all 10 digits ensures that no phone numbers will start with 988 and confuse the system. Back to me. It's important here to point out that calling 988 will not connect you to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline until July 16th, 2022. So please remember, until then, if you or a loved one are in a crisis, please call 1-800-273-8255. You can put it in your phone, 1-800-273-8255, or text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741741 to get connected to a crisis counselor via text. This news of the impending 988 number has me feeling so blessed and praying that it will have a positive impact on saving lives and keeping those of us experiencing a mental health crisis safe from police involvement unless absolutely necessary. And it's a huge deal because it finally takes seriously the fact that suicide is an emergency. Just like a heart attack, just like a stroke, just like drowning and all the other things we call the three-digit number that everyone knows by heart since childhood for an emergency, 911, we now have an opportunity to teach everyone to treat suicide with the same priority, calling 988. And I sincerely hope that it will start the conversations that we so dearly need to have about suicide in an effort to finally put an end to people feeling like it's their only option. Let's take a moment to pray to the Blessed Mother for the souls of all those who have died by suicide in the past and all those who are considering suicide due to depression, hopelessness, pain, loneliness, and any other reason. 
Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. On to the next topic, a review of videos covering the topic of depression on YouTube showed that harmful stereotypes about mental health are still assaulting us from all sides. TheTelegraph.com provides some background. In a recently published study, 327 YouTube videos on depression were coded based on how they presented depression's causes, prognosis, and recommended treatment. It became clear that popular messages on YouTube may unknowingly perpetuate stigma and misconceptions about depression, and stigma makes depression even harder. In everyday life, many people with depression hear declarations that depression isn't real or depressed people are just weak and lazy. Former U.S. Surgeon General Vice Admiral Jerome M. Adams has called stigma the nation's number one killer. About 50% of the videos on YouTube that were viewed presented depression as a biological condition like a brain disease or a chemical imbalance, and over 40% discussed how situational circumstances like losing a job, experiencing abuse, or other life events can cause depression. But these messages are only partially true. In most cases, depression is a result of a combination of biological, environmental, and psychological circumstances, though just 8% of videos showed messaging consistent with this understanding. This is called the biopsychosocial model, and it's the consensus across clinical psychology and psychiatry. Framing depression as either biological or situational can narrow one's view of potential treatments, so it's important to convey accurate information about the illness. YouTube says depression lasts for years, sometimes a lifetime. This message is a partial truth, but the science suggests a more complicated picture. For some, depression can last for years depending on their life circumstances and access to treatment. For others, depression may last only a few months. Making this distinction is important because it reminds us that depression is not permanent, even though depression by its nature can make us feel as if everything is hopeless and won't improve. Or, if things do get better, they will inevitably get worse again. YouTube says there are quick fixes. Some of the most irresponsible videos suggested that depression can be fixed with a few simple lifestyle hacks. Such videos are reminiscent of overpromising self-help gurus. Quick fix assertions like just exercise, you'll feel better are not only invalidating but untrue. It's concerning that these videos disguise themselves with scientific sounding words. The video 10 Foods to Eat to Fight Depression shows how the public can be misled. With over 1 million views, the video states dark chocolate can help raise serotonin levels in the body to fight depression. Unfortunately, for people with depression who love chocolate, this scientific-sounding claim is not accurate. Our diet, of course, affects our mood, but it's oversimplified to say that eating chocolate cures depression. And these messages could lead people to downplay and invalidate the severity of depression. Imagine how a person with depression would feel upon hearing, I know you can't get out of bed, but have you tried eating a Snickers? Back to me again. If anything, this study reminds us that while social media and the internet may be a good means of getting information out to people quickly, it's also fertile ground for incorrect information to get out quickly, only underscoring the importance of reaching out for help from a mental health professional who can help walk with you along this path to wellness. 
So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today, I'm going to introduce you to Blessed Angela Salawa. in Poland in 1881, Angela was the 11th of 12 children, the daughter of a blacksmith. Angela was quite ill as a young child and was not able to help with the chores around the house as her siblings were, but she was known as an obedient child who tried her best to help her family in any way she could. When she was 16, she left home to work as a maid, and while there, she fell away from the practice of her faith and fell into living a life focused on worldly pursuits instead. When her sister Teresa died, however, There was a turning point ahead for her. Her sister on her deathbed appealed to Angela to reconsider falling away from the faith, and then, while dancing at a wedding reception, Angela saw Christ standing nearby, and he asked her how she could prefer the life she was living to one of following him. She immediately left the wedding and went to a nearby church to pray. She fell back in love with her faith and felt called to religious life, but her health kept her from joining a community. She made private vows of purity uh, in 1900 and eventually joined the secular Franciscans. She worked as a nurse in Poland during World War I, even as her health was getting worse, but in 1916, her employer accused her of stealing and she was fired. This led her to becoming homeless, in pain, and physically ill. Abandoned by family, friends, and neighbors, Angela died on March 12, 1922. And my goodness, is she someone for us to reach out to when we're in need of prayers? She really went through it, and I think she stands ready to pray for us and walk alongside us in our own suffering. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. Triune God, I give you glory, praise, and love for all the graces which you have willed to bestow upon Blessed Angela Salawa. Look upon the spirit of sacrifice and dedication your servant, Blessed Angela Salawa, had for others, and allow her to be my advocate before thy throne in heaven. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter Therapy. Teresa gets us started. I have a brother who was diagnosed with major depression and alcoholism several years ago. He's been doing well the last few years, but recently we found out he's been depressed and drinking again. He's getting the professional help he needs to get back on his feet, but what can I do from a practical standpoint to support him? He lives across the country from me, so I don't know what to do. When he hits rough patches, he doesn't answer calls or texts often, and when he does, he's very good at masking his struggles. Let's start by praying for Teresa's brother for healing, peace, and freedom from his suffering, and for Teresa and her family for the knowledge of how best to help. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thank you so very much for sending this question in. It's one that so many of us have had to work through in our lives or are working through right now, and I think it's so important for us to talk about. First, I just want to say what a blessing that you care so much for your sibling and want to help him access the care he needs, even though you live so far away. It's a beautiful witness. 
Next, let's get some help from Blurt.org and learning a bit about helping someone with depression when we don't live nearby. I'll expand on some of their thoughts as we go through it. First off, keep in touch. One of the good things about modern technology is that it can make it much easier for us to stay in touch. Keeping in touch, whether it be by phone call, text, or social media, can help us remember that you care. It can help to remind us that you're there if we need you. Next, watch things together. Even though we're not together, we can still watch things together. We can text each other during our favorite TV program. We can press play on a movie at the same time and chat on the phone. Doing things at the same time can help to bridge the physical distance between us. Next, snail mail. Snail mail can brighten the most difficult of days. Receiving something in the mail can be a lovely surprise among all the bills. It also shows that you've gone to the time of writing something out for us. Additionally, we can stick it on our wall or pop it in our diary as a reminder that you care whenever we see it. Here's a big one. Talk to those who live close by with permission. With permission, it can be helpful to speak to our friends and family who do live nearby. You might know us better than some of these people, so sometimes we might ask you to chat with them about the sorts of things that help us. It can also be helpful to have a discussion about whether we want you to pass on concerns to those close to us at times when you're particularly worried. Next, another huge one, remind us you love us. Depression often likes to tell us that we're alone. It tells us we shouldn't bother people, that we're a nuisance, and that people only talk to us because they have to. Reminding us that you love us and letting us know when you see things that make you think of us can help us to fight back against depression when it tells us that we're alone. Find out what help is available is next. When we're really struggling, it can be difficult to research the services that are available to us. Our brains can feel like cotton wool, and it can be hard to take in the information. Doing some research on the services and how we can access them can be a huge help. Here's another big one. Have an agreement. When we have depression, there are times when we might feel particularly low or unsafe. At these times, you might be particularly worried about us. It can be helpful to have an agreement or a crisis plan for what we want you to do in these situations before they happen. This might include contacting our friends and family who live nearby, contacting the mental health team that's close to us, or doing a police welfare check. Another really big one, remember your own self-care. None of us can pour from an empty cup. It's important to look after yourself before you try to help us. Remember your own self-care. Remember that your needs are important too. We'll be praying for you and your brother. Anonymous is up next. How can we process when one of our friends say that they don't have energy to talk to us about mental health? Like even if they handled it well, what do we do when we want to talk to them, but we have to leave them alone out of respect for them? To start, let's all take a moment to pause and pray for Anonymous, for all of our friends that have walked alongside us through our pain and suffering, and for knowledge and how best to reach out for help when we need it. Hail Mary. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. This can be such a tough situation to go through when a friend lets you know that they just don't have the emotional ability to hear about what you've been going through. And as you mentioned, even when they handle it well, it can still be hard. What can we do when we're faced with this situation? An article from Psycom helps give us a little perspective on the situation. Although depression is not contagious, it can feel like it is. Some people over-identify with a depressed friend and this can make them feel drawn into a depressive state of their own. This fear of becoming depressed might make them anxious and cause them to pull away even though they know their depressed friend needs them. 
Depression is a mental illness, and like other illness, there is not a set timeline or magic formula to cure the patient. Friends may find it difficult to see their friend in so much pain, and this uncomfortable feeling can lead to frustration and a misguided belief that the depressed person isn't trying to get better. From there, the friend might think, if my support was helping, my friend wouldn't still be depressed, and this leads them to give up on the friendship completely. It can be so hard when a friend whose support we value, appreciate, and need asks to pull back from hearing about our life and our difficulties. It can make us feel lonely or even like we're broken or like we need to be avoided for others to stay healthy. It's especially hard when we consider how powerful friendships are for our own mental health. More from Psycom. The benefits of friendship for people that are depressed is astounding. Relationships, although not a suitable uh, substitute for professional therapy, can help people dealing with depression with their healing. Friendship is all about supporting each other in good times and in bad. Although depression can challenge a strong friendship, it doesn't make it impossible for the friendship to continue. And in fact, the friendship can be beneficial to both parties. But how can we process a friend who has asked us to pull back? This is complicated and hard work. To respect them for setting the boundaries without feeling like we did something wrong or are too defective to be friends in some way? I think individual therapy would be a great thing to help us walk through this journey, to learn how to accept boundaries that are being put up in our relationships and learn how to be in relationships with those boundaries being set. Therapy can also help us to have a place to share these things that our friend may find difficult to hear for various reasons. We'll be praying for you. A different anonymous wraps us up. I have a friend who has basically become a babysitter for a mutual acquaintance. My friend is basically on call for this other person. The mutual has dependency issues and borderline personality disorder. My friend is so wrapped up in it that she no longer believes she can put up boundaries or have autonomy and always has to be on call to make sure the person doesn't hurt herself. Unfortunately, our priest seems to encourage the codependency, believing that the friend is a good influence. How can I support my friend and encourage healthy boundaries so it doesn't begin to affect her own mental health? Thank you so much for sending this in. Let's start by praying for your friend, your mutual acquaintance, and everyone who has ever found themselves in a similar situation that our guardian angels may guide us to peace and healthy relationships. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here, ever this day be at my side to light and guard, to rule and guide. Amen. First, a definition with a little help from verywellmind.org is in order. Borderline personality disorder is a pervasive pattern of instability in interpersonal relationships, self-image, and emotion, as well as marked impulsivity, beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts, as indicated by five or more of the following. Chronic feelings of emptiness, Emotional instability in reaction to day-to-day events like intense episodic sadness, irritability, or anxiety usually lasting a few hours and only rarely more than a few days. Frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. Identity disturbance with markedly or persistently unstable self-image or sense of self. Impulsive behavior in at least two areas that are potentially self-damaging, like spending, sex, substance abuse, reckless driving, binge eating. Inappropriate intense anger or difficulty controlling anger, like frequent displays of temper, constant anger, recurrent physical fights. Pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships characterized by extremes behind ideal, uh, between idealization and devaluation. This is also known as splitting, 
or something like a person saying, I hate you, but don't leave me. Recurrent suicidal behavior, gestures or threats or self-harm behavior, transient stress-related paranoid ideation or severe dissociative symptoms. So a little more to help set the stage from helpguide.org. People with borderline personality disorder tend to have major difficulties with relationships, especially with those closest to them. Their wild mood swings, angry outbursts, and chronic abandonment fears and impulsive and irrational behaviors can leave loved ones feeling helpless, abused, and off balance. Partners and family members of people with BPD often describe their relationship as an emotional roller coaster with no end in sight. And if someone you know has borderline personality disorder, it's important to recognize that he or she is suffering. The destructive and hurtful behaviors are a reaction to deep emotional pain. In other words, they're not about you. When your loved one does or says something hurtful towards you, understand that the behavior is motivated by the desire to stop the pain they are experiencing. It's rarely deliberate. It's such a blessing to know that you care so much for your friend and are looking to help them set some healthy boundaries. I feel like I have to take at least a moment to address the advice your friend received from a priest. As Christians, we are called to self-sacrificial love. However, this does not mean that we are called to codependency or allowing ourselves to be used and manipulated. Christ doesn't expect us to allow ourselves to be put through that kind of suffering in the name of dying to ourselves, especially in our relationships. Self-sacrificial love is meant to be reciprocal. And if someone is taking advantage of us or hurting us, Christ wants us to find peace and wellness, not stay in a relationship that is causing us suffering. Also, Someone who is suffering from borderline personality disorder isn't going to simply learn to navigate relationships by having a good example to observe. Those who are suffering need professional help, proven methods of therapy, medication if appropriate, etc. Okay, now for some ideas on how to tell your friend to set boundaries for her own health. Back to helpguide.org. Many friends or family members often feel guilty and blame themselves for the destructive behavior of the person suffering from BPD. You may question what you did to make the person so angry or think that you somehow deserve the abuse. But it's important to remember that you're not responsible for another person. Remember the three C's. I didn't cause it. I can't cure it. And I can't control it. One of the most effective ways to help a friend with BPD gain control over their behavior is to set and enforce healthy limits or boundaries. Setting limits can help your friend better handle the demands of the outside world, where schools, work, and the legal system, for example, all set and enforce strict limits on what constitutes acceptable behavior. Talk to your friend about boundaries at a time when you're both calm, not in the heat of an argument. Decide what behavior uh, you will and will not tolerate from that person and make those expectations clear. For example, you may tell your loved one, if you can't talk to me without screaming abuse at me, I will walk out. Do calmly reassure the person with borderline personality disorder when setting limits. Say something like, I love you and I want our relationship to work, but I can't handle the stress caused by your behavior and I need you to make this change for me. Do think of setting boundaries as a process rather than a single event. Instead of hitting your friend with a long list of boundaries all at once, introduce them gradually, one at a time. Don't make threats and ultimatums that you can't carry out. As is human nature, your friend will inevitably test the limits you set. If you relent and don't enforce the consequences, your friend will know the boundary is meaningless and the negative behavior will continue. 
Don't tolerate abusive behavior. No one should have to put up with verbal abuse or physical abuse just because your friend's behavior is the result of a personality disorder. It doesn't make the behavior any less real or any less damaging to you. I hope that helps. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. And until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry, I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.